Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 6 and how the fossil record today teaches us how very serious God is with sin and wickedness. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's some highlights from yesterday's message. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. God the great auditor is at work, and like a hawk, God goes as the great auditor and he zeroes in. Self-determination. He was saying, the choice is 100% yours. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study in Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And that's exactly what God is saying to every lost sinner today. That's what he's saying. God, the great auditor, has audited every man and has written his 483 conclusion in Romans 3.23, where he wrote down, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then he wrote his warning letter in Ezekiel 18.20, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And God has then advised the corrective action for what lost man should do in Romans 10, 13. Call. He said, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But God's warning letter also for a man today has a time on it. A time. And we, don't, we just don't know what that time is. Because it is appointed unto men once to die for every man once to die and after that the judgment no one knows when he's going to die so god says treat his warning letter very seriously like there is no time left that's why he says in second corinthians 6 2 i have heard in a time accepted and in the day of salvation have i succored have i helped thee and then he says behold now Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. But God was very, very serious when he warned man in Genesis 6 here. Very serious that he would be destroyed if he didn't repent. And the great tragedy was that man underestimated God. Man undervalued God. He undervalued and underestimated God's resolve to destroy sin, to destroy man. And man took the position, like so many today, that a loving God would never send anyone to hell. I can't believe in a God like that. And that's calling God's bluff. That's pushing God. And that's not a good idea. (laughs) Because God is very concerned that man today not make the same miscalculation, not make the same misestimation, not make the same valuation that they did at that time because God is resolute that he will judge sin. So God not only put this record for us to read in Genesis 6, that man was destroyed, that was the flood. Why man was destroyed? Because of sin. But God also put in the earth a memorial. This book is a speaking book to us. It's a speaking history. It's a speaking account. But the memorial in the earth is also speaking to us. 
And that memorial in the earth is the fossils, the fossil record. Why? Because fossils speak. They speak, and they speak, and they remind us that man was destroyed by the flood, and they remind us why man was destroyed. You know, this chapter begins with a description of where man is. God sees man on the face of the earth, it says. On the face of the earth. And on the earth's surface, on the face of the earth, we find billions and billions of fossils. And fossilization is a very special process where a body is immediately, quickly, usually a live body, is entombed in sedimentary silt. And that doesn't happen today. You know, today, things die, they deteriorate on land, or they fall to the bottom of the water and the sea, and they deteriorate. And little animals eat them. And they don't become fossils. We don't see fossilization occurring today. Even though fossilization does not occur today, and we don't see it, there are billions of fossils on the face of the earth. All those fossils were formed under very specific conditions. During the flood, when huge tidal waves swept across the earth, not only tidal waves of water, but tidal waves of sedimentary silt, of mud. And as they rolled across, and we all remember seeing our TV screens, those people dashing up to the top floors of the hotels, the slow-moving, massive, extremely fatal and destructive wave just swept over the island. That's what happened during the flood. And as the sedimentary silt wave came across, it trapped fish and animals in tombs of sediment. And then they mineralized and we find fossils. And we dig up those entombed animals in the sedimentary rock and find sometimes magnificent fossils. We have a very large fossil, if you've been to the Creation Museum, seven foot tall by four foot wide. Took me a long time to convince Slamani Rashid in Morocco, who didn't speak English, barely spoke French, but spoke Arabic. And of course, I don't speak Arabic, but anyway, that we should buy this and he should send it to us. And we were surprised that the country of Morocco didn't say it was a national treasure, but he sent it, and we have a creation museum. And it's huge, and it has big fossils of squid-like animals and snail-like animals. Uh, They're called ammonites, and they have nothing to do with the Bible ammonites. (laughs) And given the lifespan of man and the number of years that people lived in this time, it has been extended in their childbearing years the length of that time, it's been calculated that there may have been a billion people living on the earth during this time of the flood. So what we look at when we look at the fossil record is we see that the judgment occurred, like Genesis 6. But what is so strange about the fossil record is that of all the billions of fossils that are found, no one has ever found a fossil of man. That's really strange. Why? Because in verse 7, God emphasizes that he would destroy man from the face of the earth. So the presence of billions of fossils speak to us that that, the flood judgment, happened. But the absence from the fossil record of man speaks to us of why the judgment came because of the sin of man. Now, in the midst of this terrible, terrible 
setting on earth. I mean, violence is on every side, of, on every corner on the earth. And the earth is a violent place to live in. And man's thoughts and his imaginations are nonstop evil. The earth is an evil place at this time. And anything good on earth quickly has become morally corrupted with sin and defilement. The earth is a morally dirty place at this time. And wickedness was so great in the earth and increasing so fast that it was also like a tsunami wave moving across the earth and covering everything in its path. The earth was a wicked place. The earth was a violent place, an evil place, a morally uh, defiled, dirty place, and a wicked place. And so the earth kind of feels like a desert in the sense, with no water. And where is the hope? Where are the people of God? Where is godliness? And we turn over there, we find violence. And we look over here, evil, corruption, wickedness. Sin is just thriving. It's thriving and it's uninhibited and it's growing out of control. In the midst of this terrible, terrible setting, terrible situation, we come to verse 7, which is so refreshing when we read, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How could Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord? The answer is because Noah looked for grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's how he could find it. He found the grace in the eyes of the Lord because he looked for it. He looked for the grace of God. It seems like the more sin thrives and grows uncontrolled, that God, almost in response, he he seems to pile up grace. And he seems to say, will someone please come looking for the grace of God? I've got a huge amount here piled up. That's exactly what he means in Romans 5.20 when it says, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Okay, So this shows us something of God. He hates to exercise judgment. It says in Isaiah 28.21-22, For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perizim, he shall be wroth, angry, as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now, therefore, be ye not mockers, lest your hands be made strong, for I have heard from the Lord of hosts a consumption even determined upon the whole earth. See, God calls judgment, he calls that his strange work. When he does acts of judgment, he calls that his strange acts. Why? Because he doesn't want to do it. He has to do it. He will do it because of his holiness and his righteousness. But it just isn't who he is. And so therefore he says, I'll do it, but it's strange to me. I don't like doing it. It's a strange work. It's a strange act. Why? Because James 2.13 says, mercy rejoices against judgment. In other words, mercy, when judgment is coming, mercy says, let's have a party and ask for the people who want mercy to come. And we're going to have a great And think of Noah in that way as a man who needed mercy from God. And Noah came and he found mercy in the eyes of the Lord. He found the mercy of God. He found the grace of God. Think of Noah as a poor man. He looked at himself, he says, I'm poor. I'm a man with no mercy. I'm a man with no grace. I'm poor in mercy. I'm poor in grace. And then poor Noah 
went looking for mercy and grace. And when Noah called on the name of the Lord, Noah became rich in mercy, and he became rich in God's grace. Why? Because Noah found God, and God made Noah rich in mercy. That's exactly what it means in Ephesians 2.4 when it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. And then when Noah called on God for mercy, he found God to be rich, and God made Noah rich in grace. Rich in grace. That's exactly what it means when it says in Romans 10.12 that there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile For the same Lord overall is rich unto all that call upon him. These are fantastic words. God is rich unto all that call upon him. God is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Rich unto all. And Noah tapped in to that riches. And he became a man who was rich in God's mercy and rich in God's grace. Now, the amazing thing about this, about Noah, was that all the riches and all the mercy were there all along, and they were just waiting for someone to come and find that hidden treasure of grace and mercy. And it didn't have to be Noah only. Sadly, it was. But it didn't have to do that. Because, like we just said, Romans 10, 12 says, God is rich unto all, not just to Noah, but unto all his grace is rich unto all that call upon him. You know, that's the way it is today. Like Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, who told the Christian debater that he would give anything if he could have the peace that that Christian debater had. But Richard Dawkins can have that peace. That's the truth. According to the scripture, he can have that peace as anyone can because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can find that the Lord Jesus Christ will be rich to him. Now, how bad is the world that we live in today? Not nearly as bad as Noah lived in. I'm sure we think it's ten times worse, but it's not. What kind of a person was Noah living in all this evil around him? Genesis 6, 9 explains to us about Noah. It says several things. One, Noah was a just man. Two, perfect in his generations. Three, Noah walked with God. Okay, first, Noah was a just or righteous man. How could Noah be a just or righteous person? How is that possible? Because Noah put his trust in God. Noah wholeheartedly believed in God. How do we know that Noah believed God? Well, in verse 13, it starts with, and God said to Noah. And then God tells Noah that he's going to judge the earth. God tells Noah why he's going to judge the earth. And then God gives to Noah a kind of a long list of very detailed instructions for what he's got to do. He's got to build the ark. It's got to be this long, this wide, this tall. There's the window. There's the door. There's the three stories. You've got to bring in two of every kind. He delineates. God delineates. Don't forget the creepy crawlies and so forth. 
and then he says, and the food, and he gives them. Then comes a really important verse, which is the last verse in this chapter. And it says, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. How do we know that Noah believed God? Because Noah did what God told him to do. And because Noah believed God and showed that he believed God by obeying God. Tom, today you talked about how Noah demonstrated that he believed God and he was saved by his faith, not his works. But it seems like building an ark was a lot of work. As a matter of fact, if Noah did not do that work, he would have not have been saved. So when the Bible says that we are not saved by works, what is the relationship between faith and works? Excellent point. You know, that's very true, that if Noah didn't do the work, he wouldn't have been saved. So that the argument is that, well, then Noah was saved by works. No, Noah was saved by faith. Because why did Noah build that ark? Was that an idea that came into Noah's head? He woke up one morning and he says, you know what? I think there's going to be a flood. And I think I got a great idea. I'm going to build an ark. Not at all. What happened was that God came to Noah and said, Noah, there's going to be a great flood and I am commanding you to build the ark. Now, Noah could have sat there and says, yeah, I believe you, God, but you know, I'm not going to build the ark. Then he wouldn't have been saved. So in essence, Noah was saved by his faith, but then the word work was consequential to his faith. It was only because Noah believed God and that he obeyed God and built the ark. It wasn't the other way around where Noah built the ark, came to God and said, look, God, I built this ark. This is all my idea. And I'm going to build this ark and I'm going to save myself. No, God said, God, in essence, put a test in front of Noah. And what was the test? The test was simply, Noah, do you believe me? If you believe me, build this ark. Now, that brings clarity to what James says in James two seventeen through 18 when he says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Think about that. If Noah was sitting there and God said to Noah, Noah, all the work, all the earth has corrupted themselves before me. Every thought of the imagination of his heart is only evil continually. And uh, he goes on and he says, I've had it and I'm going to destroy the earth. And, and Noah says, yeah, I really believe that, God. And then God says, and Noah, you have found faithful and I want you to go ahead and build this ark. And then Noah sits there and he says, says, you know what? I really believe God, but I'm not going to build the ark. Noah would have faith, but he wouldn't have works. And he literally would have been dead because he would have been swept away in the flood. So in other words, the works comes as a consequence to the faith. It comes as an obedience to God. That's what God, that's what James is saying here. If you have faith, but you don't obey God, if God says, God says, I save you from your sins. I want you to turn from your sins. I want you to repent from your sins. And you don't make one effort to repent and turn from your sins. That's faith without works. That's dead. So in other words, James says, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show you my faith by my works. See, it's showing faith by works. That's why in Romans 10, 9, when it says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So in other words, if you really believe in your heart that God raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, then you will say so. 
and you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You will say, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. He's my God. He is God. He died on a cross for my sins. I, and you will tell people that. Why do you tell? Because the consequence of believing is confessing. The consequence of having faith is to loose the mouth where the mouth speaks. Now, you could say, confessing with the mouth is the Lord Jesus is a work. And so that goes back to James. Look, if you only believe in your heart, but you're frozen at the tongue, then you see you've got dead faith. But God says, if you really believe in your heart, then the consequence of that is that you will, you will speak. In other words, when the Lord Jesus Christ was putting this all on the line, he said in Matthew 10, 32 through 33, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So in other words, he's putting it on to a very individual basis. It's all about him and him and him. And he says, if you really believe that I am God, that I am the Savior, then you will confess me before men. That will be the demonstration of your faith. Your faith is what God is imputing to you for righteousness. So if you want to say that, faith saves, or God sees faith, and then he saves. But to show that it's really genuine faith, in other words, it's not dead faith, as James says, then you will confess me before men. You will go to your friends, and you will say, you know who's more important than my friends? God. Therefore, I'm going to confess to my friends, even if they say sayonara to you, even if they do that, I'm going to confess the Lord Jesus Christ to my friends, and then God says, that's a genuine faith, and I'll confess you, the Lord Jesus says, also before my Father, which is in heaven. But on the other hand, if a person believes, but he denies them before men, it's not a genuine faith. It's not a faith which has really gripped the heart. And so he says, so therefore he says, I'll deny you before my Father which is in heaven. So some people might look at the thief on the cross and say, well, what work could this man do? He was nailed to a cross. His hands were immobilized. His feet were immobilized. He was dying, and all he could do is speak. And so one of the malefactors is what it says in Luke 23, 39 through 43. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So what did this malefactor do, the saved man, the second one? Well, he they were both, maybe they were pals, I don't know. Maybe they were accomplices in the crime, who knows? But anyways, there's two malefactors. They're being nailed, they're nailed to a cross. They're on either side of the Lord Jesus Christ. And two of them have made two distinct decisions. One has faith, the other doesn't. The one malefactor, he just, he, he lets go on the Lord. And he says, oh, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other who has really believed, he rebukes him. He severs his relationship with his friend. He says, no, you and I are not on the same page. And then tries to win his friend. He says, don't you fear God? Look, seeing that you're in the same condemnation, don't you see that we are indeed, we, we are indeed uh, re- receiving what we deserve? 
the due reward of our deeds? Can't you see that this man has done nothing wrong? You see, in that case, that was his work. His work was a witness. His work was a reaching out. His work was a confessing the Lord Jesus Christ before men, before his, his, uh, his, his accomplice friend there. He was doing that. And that was showing that his faith was genuine. It was demonstrating, just like Noah building the ark, this thief on the cross was also demonstrating his faith by reaching out to his friend. Because after all, if you really believe that all men are either going to heaven to hell, heaven or hell, and if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to heaven, and if they don't, then they're going to hell, then won't you, if you really sincerely believe that, reach out to your friend's like this this one man did, this thief on the cross. Won't you do that? Of course you will. And that's what he did. That was a demonstration of his faith. And what was the reward for the demonstration of his faith? The Lord Jesus Christ said, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Thank you for joining us today. Now we'd like to encourage you to visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Now, we've added some new features on our website where you can sign up for a Tom Cantor daily devotional verse that can come right into your email or to your smartphone every day. Now, you can also go to our website and sign up to receive our Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries newsletter where you'll hear about our upcoming summer blitz campaign to reach one million lost Jewish people this summer in Jewish cities. Now, you can also go to our website and have a free gospel gift from Tom Cantor given to a lost Jewish person that you know. His testimony DVD and booklet has gone out millions of copies around the world from Israel to the United States, and you can give it to a lost Jewish person that you know to help them come to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Now, you can also call us directly as well as go to our website. So call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.